Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here on a very, very, very warm day in Melbourne. And I, again, I've got a pleasure of having a guest from all the way on the other side of the planet in the Northern Hemisphere. And I, we actually haven't spoken about how cold or not it is, Ryan, but uh, I'd love to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Ryan Warner. Welcome, my friend, all the way from Canada. Thank you very much. I, I feel welcome. It was a very warm welcoming right there. <laughs> Now, we've just had a bit of a preamble for the last 10 minutes, and it, um, I'm not sure about you, but I know your background is you spent a bit of time in Australia, uh, and a, and a we- in Western Australia, and I said before, I love speaking to people from Canada because I don't know about it, but I think Australians and Canadians are very similar, and we tend to resonate, and I reckon we might have same kind of uh, sense of humour as well. So uh, it feels like we've only met each other for the last 15 minutes, but it feels like we know each other a bit longer than that. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. So, mate, welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it is, and it's great to speak to another, I'll say, executive coach, superhuman. I'll take both those titles, even though I'm not sure I deserve the second <laughs> one, but okay. Nah, it's awesome. So, um, just for the listeners' benefit, Ryan, you are a director, executive trainer, and coach at Professional Presentation Services. Amongst other things, you also run your own podcast called the professional speaking podcast which we'll promote in the in the speaker notes and i've also written a book called the effective presenter now in this particular podcast given that we're both in the i guess the same kind of industry working with teams working with executives helping around leadership i said before i don't know where this podcast is going to go but let's just see where because i like this to be a fireside chat but i know we're going to talk about some things that hopefully will resonate with the audience and particularly for leaders who are looking to help elevate themselves in terms of their leadership capability, but also elevating the, the capability of their team. So as a as a beginning sort of conversation starter, uh, can you just give the audience a little bit of a background on the Ryan Warner story in terms of what you've done, what your background is, and, and what led you to be in the role that you are now in terms of doing what you do? Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. The Ryan Warner story. I've never heard it put that way. And maybe one day it'll be a, well, probably the highest it'll go is a made for TV movie, but let's get, we'll, we'll go for the overview. So I originally, I was always curious as a child about how people learned. And I just, I, I had grew up with a, an older sister and a younger brother and we were, we all had very different skill sets and we were just naturally talented in different ways. And I remember mathematics was always extremely easy for me to grasp, but languages, for example, were much more challenging. Yeah. My sister was the complete opposite. And I, that always fascinated me. I was like, how can you not get these numbers? They make so much sense. And she's like, how could you not get French and English? Like they, it just makes sense. And so from a young age, I always was curious about how different people learn differently and learning styles and these types, these types of things. And it led me to uh, study psychology and study education. And I became actually a classroom teacher Okay. And that's actually what I did when I was in Australia. I was teaching right? second second grade. Yeah. Second grade. So primary school kids. Primary school. Yeah. It was a oh my God. school I was part of. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did that and I had a lot of fun uh, teaching the primary. I, that, of course, that was when I was younger and had much more energy. Mate, you'd um, learn I, a lot about yourself, wouldn't you? Dealing with um, grade two kids. <laughs> oh, man. I look back at it now and think like, how did I do it? Like, you know, now it's, you know, 11, 11 a.m. and I'm yawning. So before I was like, I don't know what happened. Um, I have to have like my third cup of coffee, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I started teaching and I, and I just, I fell in love with actually delivering content and helping people learn. Yeah. And then it was almost like a challenge for me. Like, okay, these, these folks, these children have the shortest attention spans I'm ever going to come across. I only have them for a matter of seconds. How can I captivate the, how can I engage them and then give them some value, give them something that they can build on then tomorrow and, and continue. So it was always this constant kind of mind game for me of, of how to how to prepare something for them and over the years you kind of hone that skill of 
developing content and packaging it in a way that is most digestible and palatable for, for the audience mm-hmm. and something they can actually take with them. And, and yeah, over the years, I, I kind of actually, there's a shortage of teach or there was, sorry, there was a surplus of teachers and there was a shortage of uh, professors where I was, okay. uh, when I moved back to Ontario. So I, I went back to school, got another master's degree and when it turned into a professor and yeah, now that's, that's what I do. So I'm a professor of communication and languages and, and linguistics. And, and now I, uh, I coach and I do training and that on additional and everything. That is like that. fascinating. So why, why don't you have like a lot of, uh, respectfully executives on LinkedIn? Why isn't your title professor Ryan J Warner? I have professor. Yeah. You'll notice if you look at my, I think professor is the last title that I have on my name under under my uh, job yeah. titles my yeah. description and i think that's because i enjoy like i i love a professorship people have the, a misconception of it and even myself when i got into it i love the teaching aspect yeah but the the research and the other components that go along with it those can get a little bit monotonous and a little bit dry and a little bit drab and not as engaging so unfortunately, I don't spend as much time as I'd like to student facing. Right. So I spend much more time, the, the more, the most meaningful, the most value I get out of my job and out of my day is when I'm in front of people helping people. Mm. And sometimes, most of the time recently, that's come in the form of training and coaching and keynote speaking. Yeah. Um, but hopefully one day in the future, I'll be back in front of, I think I, right now I lecture once a week and I have about 400 students, uh, but I lecture once a week for two hours. And that's kind of like my, my exciting time. I know many people, they, I, my cousins ask me that they're like, so you, you like it. You like being in front of 400 people. I say like, I love it. Like, that's like where I'd, I'd be rather than anywhere else in the world is in front of people. And I realize it's some people's worst nightmare. And I help a lot of executives overcome their fear of speaking anxiety. And we can talk about that if you'd like, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that's I, I I love doing that, and that's something that I'd love to do more of, especially when you're sharing something meaningful and helping people. It, there's no greater feeling, in my opinion. I um I totally agree with you. And running running things like presentation skills programs, and I'm doing a leadership program at the moment with a an organisation in Australia. And the last session in July is going to be a full day teaching them presentation skills. And I had the first session with them this week, and. We're going to do five sessions of leadership first before we sort of do the piste de resistance in terms of the, the presentation <laughs> day. And uh, so I was seeding some things they were going to be looking forward to. And every single one of them who were very experienced were literally shitting themselves, right? And this is this is five, <laughs> six months away. It's it's fascinating. Now, what's what I what piqued my interest is there was a couple of things. Number one, you're starting off teaching grade twos and you mentioned the attention span what what was it that you learned from that experience because the way i look at it a lot of the times from a communication point of view if you can communicate a message to somebody who's five six seven years old which is about that sort of grade level to the point where they understand the message and then they can articulate it to somebody else to me that says you're a good communicator because you can communicate at the level so um mm. what did you learn from your time teaching that that sort of age demographic that you can utilize today when you're dealing with some of the executives that you're dealing with? Because is it fair to say in Canada, similar to Australia, that some people like to overcomplicate the overly simplistic when it comes to communication? <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes, yes. Uh, some Everyone has their own, how would I say this? Some people have this kind of innate or some somehow or other they've come across this individual style and they're very reluctant to part with it and they think if you don't understand me the problem's on your end it's not on mine right um so to that point what uh, what you asked me earlier what did i learn i learned so much from that time but but the biggest thing i learned is you need to change your vocabulary and your delivery to meet the audience that's that's the number that's probably the biggest thing I've learned and if you can develop what I call communication flexibility yeah being that whatever situation you're in you can adapt and adjust your language and your tone and and your delivery to most resonate with your audience yeah that is the highest level of communication right um, and when you pair that with 
identifying your desired outcome, like you know what a, what a win looks like, you yeah. can kind of, uh, you know, analyze the landscape and say, okay, I, I can't shoot for A right now, that's not going to happen, but B might happen, so I'll shoot. Like if you can actually do that in real time and then adjust your language and your delivery to meet that, like you're unstoppable. Like you, you can really achieve whatever level of success. People will be offering you jobs till the cows come home. But um, that was the, the biggest thing I've learned. And then probably the next biggest that followed closely by you got to break things down. You got to separate things into steps, especially when you're giving instructions or when you're delegating anything like that, you have to really simplify it. And that's just, I, I've learned, I thought that was only going to be with children. Um, but now in organizations, I'm shocked at how many VPs and directors they'll send a memo out with like 18 steps in it. And yep. the, the, someone's expected to sift through it and pull out, you know, the order of, of which it's just, wow. Like, but, but again, no one's taught them. No one's told them, Hey, listen, this is not going to be received in the way yeah. that you want. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. they're just kind of doing what they've seen in the past. Sorry to drone on. No, no, but it's, it's a great point you make because it, it literally is the blind leading the blind because they're there because we're all conditioned right we're conditioned based mm -hmm. on our upbringing our education the, the people we surround ourselves with and from a leadership perspective often people are promoted into areas because they're good technicians or they've had a high performance level in their individual contributor role so they say, oh ryan you're a fantastic performer we're going to put you into a management role but the expectation goes up with the title that comes with that sort of responsibility, but not necessarily arming you with the capability, the agility to think about what is the outcome, the ability to then frame your conversation in a way that would resonate with, and I say this respectfully, the common folk. Mm -hmm. And so often these executives think, well, I have to use this big convoluted language because that's what we, that's how we talk at the executive level because that's the expectation. So I'm fascinated in the work that you do. How many of those executives feel a little bit, um, well, out of out of their depth to the point where they're trying to pretend to be somebody they're not and therefore they default to the 18-step email or the 18-step mm. memo rather than saying, hang on a second, what is the key message? What is it that I want this group to do? And how can I dumb it down so it's absolutely crystal clear? What's your <laughs> What's your take on that? Yeah, I love when you say dumb it down. We were always that was something I learned early on. I use I use the term simplify, but I know in Australia you guys just cut right to the chase, and I love that. Well, well done. Uh, it just gives me gives me a laugh though. Um, yeah. So what's my take? I, I wrote an article recently uh, for Thrive Global, and it's um, like at the Huffington Post out uh, kind of one of their dispatches. And it was about communicating in the red zone. And the, some of the, the research that I've done kind of lends itself to this is that some people, when they're in a position of authority and they reach that executive level, their instinct uh, is to use the highest peak of their vocabulary, the highest band, and try to use these words that, and they, they think that it's reflecting their, their intellect and their professionalism and, and things like this. But unfortunately, it, that's not how it's received. Yeah. It's received as condescending, and, and kind of belittling. And what we would say is like flexing, like they're trying to flex. And and it's not effective because in order for a message to be effective, like, yes, it has to be clear. That's most important. But then also someone has to take action to do it. It has to be somewhat motivating, somewhat like, so it, it, there's two parts. Yeah, you have to understand what needs to be done and then you have to want to do it. Mm -hmm. right? And then people say, well, if they're, I've had this before, they say, well, I'm the boss, so they have to do what I say. Okay, yes, but do they have to do it right away? Or do they have to do it to your standard? Do they have to, like, they can do it. Like, you'd be surprised at changing the delivery and yeah. seeing the result of it's done the next day and better than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Right? And you're like, that's, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. And what does that cost you? It costs you a little bit of reframing, a little bit of rephrasing and packaging it a little bit differently. And yeah. all of a sudden, poof. Right, things yeah. are done so much easier. So, and with that, I mean, a good leader has to be emotionally intelligent enough to see is my message actually resonating, not being fixated with this is my vocabulary, this is my message. I'm just going to put it out there, and everybody needs to be able to take it because it makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've I've worked with a, a lot of 
a lot of executives when we do, we talk about speaking and I work with executives all over the world. So sometimes, well, most often nowadays we do use video conferencing yeah. um, up until, you know, days before their presentation or their speech or what have you. And so sometimes when I'm, when I'm talking with them, I'll kind of ask them, I'll say, what are you looking at on your screen? And they always say, I'm looking at myself. And I say, well, what about if you're having a virtual meeting? They say, I just look at myself. I make sure that I'm okay. You say, okay, but, but it's not about how you look. It's about them, right? Like you need to understand, are they getting the, the, the signals they're sending you? If they mm. all, if they're all looking confused and you're like, well, I look great. I'm going to keep going. You know, like that, that's, <laughs> that's an, that's an issue, right? Like that's, that's not an effective meeting that's being <laughs> run. So you, you have to, you have to have the wherewithal. You have to have, you know, that kind of taking the temperature of the room and, and being in tune with your counterparts because you know, you are, your effectiveness is predicated on others at, at, the, at the executive level. So you yeah, need absolutely. to really be the tide that rises all boats. Yeah. yeah. And not make it about yourself. <laughs> yes, very true. So Ryan, I'm really curious then, uh, having having spent time lecturing, you got 400 people in front of you and, and we can talk about, I want to talk about presentation skills and some of the things that executives need to be thinking about, but also some of the, I guess, the challenges that a lot of executives find, in which case you you just mentioned one of them, just saying, I'm just looking at me and making sure I'm, I'm okay. That's going to be a really engaging presentation. Uh, what I'm curious about is, was there, was there a, a particular time or a particular event for you that was a trigger to say, hey, I'm moving from teaching uh, like grade twos, doing uh, a, a professorship, to then now moving into the corporate space? Was there something, was there an mm -hmm. event that said, hey, this is now my destiny, this is what I want to do, or was it something more organic? It, it, well, there was an event. There, there was, yeah, so what a happened? A major event? Yeah, it was a major life-changing event. No, it wasn't like anything like earthquake, but uh, what happened was I, I had, right after... Like after I graduated from university, the first with my uh, my first set of degrees, I had I visited a friend of mine in California. He had an internship there, and he had you know a number of friends there, and they quickly became my friends, and so I stayed in touch. And about four, four five, six years later, after I'd been teaching, I think I just transitioned into being a professor. It was like my first or second year being a professor, and I had done a lot of research into how language um, influences someone's mind. Mm. So. For example, if you ask someone a question like, can I cut in front of you in line? Most times you're going to be like, no. If you say I cut in front of line, because can I cut in front of you? Because as long as you say because, it doesn't even matter what the reason is, yeah. they're 34% more likely to say yes. Wow. So, yeah, I started doing this research and I found that language can influence someone's behavior and change someone's frame of mind. And then it, it was it was what I what my kind of job was at the time. And then I was teaching this to persuasive presentations and then these courses to students in college. When I visited my friends in California, they had startup companies in uh, the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. And we, they were just talking about a pitch that they had to do for investment. And I offered my two cents, as it were, for a persuasive speech. And they loved it. And uh, so they, they asked me to come back and I, I did and I prepped them for their, their pitch and they ended up getting a large sum of investment and that's what got the ball rolling then they started saying hey there's another startup company we we rub shoulders with can you help them and they would tell other companies you got to talk to ryan and so I, that's where i started with presentation and pitching because awesome. that was just something that kind of came it was um, like serendipitous like happenstance yeah. it wasn't planned yeah it's uh but it was all in the uh, all in the destiny it's amazing how things like that happen isn't it yeah. And I, here I am, you know, when you, you, I don't know if everyone has this experience, but I say, you know, when you, as if everyone's like ridden a bike before, but what I, I was like, I became naturally, I became really, really, really great at structuring my, my words to make an impact. And I know what you're thinking, like, Ryan, you're not doing so great right now. Like, okay, it's, it's <laughs> at the end of the day. Coming some hey, that's not for me to judge. It's all the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Darren, I know what that look you're giving me. I know what that says. But there, uh, hang every word you're saying, my friend. <laughs> but what happened, was I, I became, this became like second nature. And I just assumed that everyone knew this stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. when I, when I, like, I just thought that I wasn't really doing anything revolutionary. I was just because a lot of this stuff is from, you know, ethos, pathos, logos from ancient yeah. Greeks. 
It yeah. wasn't like I, I reinvented anything, but it turns out in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of engineers, a lot of people in finance. There's a lot of people who are not people, people they're, they're introverts. Very right? smart people are. Oh, they're brilliant people. So brilliant. Uh, but for some reason they have difficulty. That's, that's their kryptonite, right? That's their Achilles heel. When they have yep. to explain or persuade someone, they, mm -hmm. they end up, what I found was they end up talking more about, especially the engineers, what they did, the hurdles they overcame, everything like that, rather than why the investor should care. Yep. Like, how does it matter? Why does it matter to them? What are they going to get out of this? Right. Yeah. And so that, but that, that's their frame of mind. They're like, look what I did. I had these yeah. challenges. This is how I overcame them. And this is the product and this is why it's superior. And, you know, so they weren't actually checking off the boxes as far as that goes. But anyways, I, that's something I, I kind of came to learn along the way. And then you got the investors sitting there basically to themselves and depending on what their personality type is probably out loud saying, yeah, so what, who cares? <laughs> Who cares if they, you want me to you want me to invest in this particular product or this particular startup? Tell me why I should even care about this. And it's um and and the work that I do in sales, and you probably find this with the sales training you're doing, is so many organizations think they've got the best product, which they need to believe in, of course. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it means that all the sales teams are pretty much defaulting to, hey, let's talk about that product. Let's talk about why this product is the best, not thinking about why would the customer want to even contemplate taking this solution or taking this product because they have to have a problem first. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's another, that that's a hurdle in, in the sales world. And I feel like it's, I feel like it's a little bit, I don't, I'm hesitant to say this, but I feel like it has gotten worse, especially with, with the pandemic and things being locked down and, and you know, the, the just the way technology has advanced so much, we're kind of losing that interpersonal communication, that interpersonal yeah, relationship. Because at the end of the day, like in all the, like before I train or coach, like I'd love to go off experience alone, but mm -hmm. I do my best to see what the literature says and what the research supports, because there's a lot of research out there that doesn't go, that goes unutilized. Yeah. So I always do my best. And what I found in sales is the misconception is like you said, the product will speak for itself. And that if I just speak to the benefits of the, of the product or the service that you know the, the sale will take care of itself when really it, it's not the product it's it's the person and, it. and it's you know it's not only it's not just the customer as a quote-unquote customer as an order it's the customer as a person hmm. and the customer the sales people that are most effective they understand this they understand my job is not to close a sale my job is to make a friend hmm. right my job is to gain trust because that trust is not only going to close a sale but that's also going to lead to more future sales and positive reputation and all these other good things. So that, that's what I, I can share with you off the top of my head on that topic. That's an interesting point because when you think about uh, presenting and whether you're, because a lot of people think presenting is, oh, I'm doing keynotes or I'm sitting in front of a group doing a, some sort of presentation. But presenting is also the one-on-one -on -one conversation. So how do you present a message and all the things you've been talking about in terms of What's the outcome? What sort of language do I need to use? What type of learning style is this person in front of me? How can I adapt my communication style? There's so much going on. And yet, isn't it interesting how a lot of organizations, when it comes to training, and I'm going a little bit off topic now, but a lot of them mm -hmm. provide training, but it's technical training. It's about the product. It's about the service. You need to know everything about this. And therefore, that will just be the catalyst to enable us to expand our reach increase our market penetration and everybody's happy and they're missing the most fundamental thing. And that is people will do business with people who they know they like and they trust. Mm -hmm. And if they can do that, if the salesperson can do that and build a relationship, then it's not just one sale, it's potentially multiple sales, which means they have to get good at having conversations. They have to get good at presenting. So, mm -hmm. so with that, I know you do a lot of, uh, executive training and executive coaching and around presenting. And we'll talk about your book and obviously your podcast as well. Um, in the clients that you're working with, uh, and I know it's a, I guess, a, across multiple different industries, based on your experience and on all the research, what are, is there anything that's top of mind in terms of one of the biggest challenges that executives might have or people in sort of positions of influence and power when it comes to being able to articulate the message that you find 
can be the, I guess, the the catalyst to, to make all the difference. I know it's sort of asking, is there a red pill, blue pill? Yeah. Where's but, the, what's the magic but, bullet? I'm just I'm just curious from your point of view, are you seeing any trends or any themes that t- tend to repeat? Because I know there's a lot of people listening to this who have to present on a daily basis and just looking for anything we can help them just to make it a little bit more comfortable for them. Hmm. Yes. Um I have a there's a, a formula in my book which like I said we can we can talk about that like you said we can talk about that in a minute. I'm I'm thinking over that question because you know i'll answer that with with a brief anecdote with a story and then you tell me if 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 i hit it or not sure so when i started uh doing getting referrals for coaching and training people were you know ringing me up or emailing me and asking me to come out there and i was in california a lot and i was also in, in florida a lot and in my early days and a lot of what i thought was what i what i started to figure out was they need the they need the language they yeah. need to not be about me but to be about you not be i focused but be you focused yeah so i had you know shook in all the trees and 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 found out uh, everything that i could find out about you know what is the the most effective way to be you focused and be persuasive and then what i found out through experience is that i could give someone all the linguistic tools in the world if they don't see the problem that way they're not going to use them Right. So I had to like for and what I mean is they wouldn't it wasn't like they didn't see that as an option. It was that that wasn't for them, like that that they viewed the problem as like, I need to convince them not like I need you to give me money, not like I need to help you. And then by helping you, I'm helping myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of reframing the problem. And they didn't see it like that. So I had to kind of take a step backwards, right? Because if I, if, if they didn't know what the problem was, how are they going to know what tool to use to to solve it? Yeah. So that's when, that's what really took me from, uh, if you want to say like a communication coach to, uh, you know, an exact performance slash like an executive coach, because I had to figure out how do they think, why are they thinking like this? And I had to kind of open their eyes to, there's multiple ways to approach a situation. Yeah. What way is most beneficial for you to achieve your desired outcome? Yeah. And then once they were able to, once we kind of worked and sometimes it takes longer than others uh, to iron that out, then the language will, you'll notice it flows more because you, now they're more comfortable with the position that they're in and they see themselves and where their team is. And it's not, you know, okay, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Yeah. The The message is usually, Okay, so guys, so this is what everyone, this is what, where we want to be in a month. And I think we can get there if we keep doing A, B, and C. So if you need help, if you're unclear about what it takes, please let me know. I'm here to support. I give you whatever resources I can. You know? So the language changed because now it's like you're pulling in the same direction. It's not you're, you know, on the chariot whipping them to go, right? <laughs> so if I'm hearing you correctly, it was... I mean, you had all the linguistic tools, all the words, all the phraseology um, that they could utilize, but you had to actually, as we said before, <laughs> you had to give them literally that check up from the neck up because it was what's happening inside their head that mm-hmm. might have been not enabling that language to have its full impact. Is that right? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. I, I was like, you know, imagine, you know, someone going into battle with a sword and a shield. And then, you know, if I give them a machine gun, you're like, oh, they're going to, they're going to do awesome. And yeah. then they start using that like a club because they yeah. don't, they don't know, you know what I mean? Like they don't see another way to use it. Got it. So that, that's kind of like what it was. I had to kind of take a step back first and, but it, it was an eye opening experience. It was invaluable for me because that took me back to step one of yeah. different people see things differently. Absolutely. And I'm curious with the executives and the teams you've been working with who wanted the, uh, let's just say, the -the out-of-the-box solution, Ryan. Give me the language I need to use. Give me the words. Give me the phraseology that will make all the difference. How challenging was that to get them to open up to the fact that maybe it was their thinking and their approach to things that was the real problem? It was, like I said, it's individualized. So some some customers are, are tougher than others. Some people are, they have learned 
a lesson or two the hard way in the past. Like, you know, that we say some people take their scars with them. Yeah. And, and so sometimes it folks are reluctant to let something go or because they've been burned in the past or because they've seen something go awry. So it's very easy to make a hard and fast rule for yourself. And that's what your psychology is programmed to do, mm-hmm. right? Like don't touch anything hot, you'll get burned. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Type of thing. So that that's something that's baked into us. So for some few folks, it's they're not as malleable as others, but ultimately with, with uh, what would you say? With progressive reinforcement, let's say <laughs> it can, the conditioning can be undone. I would say brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just constantly reframing this. So how does it, you know, asking questions like, and getting people to think, yeah. so how will this help you? Yeah. You know, if you deliver it like that, how will that be received? How will that land? Yeah. Yeah. And what, and how, what will that person think? Right. How will that help you? Because at the end of the day, you know, sometimes being passive aggressive or getting your jabs in, or sometimes it's not going to benefit you. It might feel good, Mm -hmm. like, right. It's feel good in the moment, but long-term down the road, that's not going to help you get to the finish line. Well, it won't. Exactly. And the other thing it does as well is it, it, it starts to condition other people on how to treat us based on how we are treating them. So if we're looking for the the short jab, the short win, the instant gratification, it's it, they're going to think, well, okay, he's got what what he wants, she's got what she wants. Happy days, good for them, but I'm not going to do any long term business with them because I don't I don't necessarily trust them because it's all about them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and it has to come. It has to be. I shouldn't say it has to. It's better if it's echoed and reinforced in all aspects of, of business and of life really. Yeah. And when I'm working with a lot of executives, sometimes one of the things that they have to do that they dread doing is performance reviews mm. and, or they'll have to speak to one of their team members, a subordinate because they've screwed up and they have to give feedback and it's not a comfortable situation for them. And a lot of people use, you know, the feedback sandwich, right? Something good, the bad news, and then something good, right? That's oh, they they I'm always cringing on on video. I'm just cringing here because it doesn't work. I'm not sure about Canada, but in Australia, it's just I'll say it. It's bullshit, right? Because most people, when they give feedback, first of all, it's all tainted with opinion, which we shouldn't have. But then they'll try to butter up the person, and then they'll mm-hmm. come in with a the velvet sledgehammer. And they typically use the word "but." So Ryan, you're doing a phenomenal job. I really love what you're doing. But there's some things we need to talk about. And all of a sudden, Ryan, you're you're everything I was just set up until that point. You're saying, okay, here's the real message. So it's just, it's just rubbish. Don't do it. Yeah. And and trust me, I've been on the receiving end of that as well. Like for everyone that there listening, if you think like I'm only the one delivering it and coaching people, no, like I remember one of my first job as as a college professor, my dean watching me lecture and then heard I, and I actually was excited because I always have like, yeah, how can I get better? Like what, what's, you know, tell me, like, I want to be a better lecturer. Yeah. And they would say, yeah, you know, if you didn't print out papers and hand them out, if you just uploaded it for the students to download, then that'd be better. You can save us some money. I thought, wow, that's uh that's a great insight there. Thank you for, cause I'm always, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause I'm always like, you know, what'll help them learn the most, right? Yeah. Not like, not not thinking about saving the you know the four dollars in photocopies, but, uh, <laughs> but but anyhow, uh, yeah. So what I what I tell folks now when I when I'm working with executives, I tell them that yeah, they're most people are they know what's coming, like they know what the deal is and they yep. know what's happening, right? So in order to and I use a, an analogy of a castle with the drawbridge, I said you got to get that drawbridge down before they're going to be receptive to anything you say. Absolutely. If not, if you start off with the whole, okay, so, so far you're doing great. Like you said, before the velvet sledgehammer, then they're going to be they're they're, you know, uh, antennas are going to be up. They're just going to be waiting for, okay, what's, what's the, butt, right. So I always start by saying like, listen, the whole purpose of this is because I want you to maximize your potential. I think that you're going to be, I think that you're going to be fantastic Mm -hmm. and I want you to be fantastic. And at the end of this meeting, I just, I want you to be better off after than before. Does that make sense? Right. And that's something to that effect. And that gets people like, okay, right. It it instantly 
kind of, you know, you're being honest with them and that's the truth, right? Because why, why are you having it with them? Because you want them to improve, right? Absolutely. So when people know that, right. And, and I always say too, if it's someone I've had to speak to more than once, I say, listen, uh, I want you to prove me right. I, I, I think I know you're going to be, you're fantastic and you have so much potential in you and I need you to prove me right. So yeah. I'm going to tell you some of the spots where we need to bolster so that, you know, cause I, I bet on you. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're, and people they, that, that, that gets through to them like that, that is a, a, a great starter to kind of get that drawbridge down. And then they're like, okay, yeah, what, what can we do here? And then you start telling them this, this is what happened here. This is an alternative. This is what happened here. This is another solution you could use. Yeah. It's a really great point, Ryan, because what you're talking about there is, and it's easy as a coach because you're sort of not in the, uh, I guess the the daily grind with that particular individual. So it'd be different if you're a, you're a people leader of that person having the same conversation. But what it does come down to, though, is what is your intention? Is your intention to help this particular person? And if it is, if you've built that okay. bridge of trust and that drawbridge can come down, then all of a sudden the person thinks, okay, Ryan's going to give me some feedback that is designed to help me. It's not designed to criticize me. It's going to make me a better salesperson, a better operational person, a better professor, a better leader, whatever the case might be. And so they're more open to that. And when they're open to it, hey, as you know, in the learning space, they're more likely to implement some stuff and get some results, which is uh, <laughs> which is awesome. Great, great point. Hey, I'd love to, um, you mentioned before in your book, The Effective Presenter, available on all good uh, book platforms. <laughs> and dare I say, is it is it on some dodgy platforms as well? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was like, where's he, where's he going with this? Well, no, no Aussie can uh, can say anything about a good book until they say you can get it on some dodgy dodgy bookstores as well. Uh, it's called The Effective Presenter. And we'll put, the I guess, the link in the, the show notes as well. You mentioned before you've got a formula um, that's in the book. Love, mm -hmm. love you if you can just to take us through at a high level. What's the formula? Because... I think if if anybody's listening to this, whether you're presenting, as we said before, to a team, a board of directors, customers, two people, there's always things we can improve our ability to get our message through and our influence and through effective presenting. So um, what's the formula? What's the yeah. <laughs> That's the formula. Absolutely. So the formula was born out of years and years of research and then also um, deliver teaching uh, presentation skills to folks and and finding kind of pairing the way people think with the optimal structure to design a presentation. So the, there's four layers to it. And if you look at okay. it visually, it kind of looks like a house or like a pyramid. Okay. And the, the first layer is called a presentation foundation. And that is three things. There's three blocks in it. It's what's your purpose, right? What, who's your audience and the logistics, time, mm -hmm. space, location, or sorry, time, space, and resources. Yep. Those three things make up the foundation. The more you know about those three things, the better you can design your and deliver your presentation to meet the needs. The step two, the second level is presentation design. So that's content selection, content structuring, and then visual aids. Right. Not all presentations require visual aids and not no. all presentations require 200 slides in a slide deck. Okay. Oh, unless um, you're in a big corporate and you've got to have that. <laughs> that drives me nuts when they see you see one out of 218. It's like, oh man, this is going to be a day. <laughs> this is, is just so long uh, and it's so unnecessary. And, and please grab a copy of my book and read the visual aid section. I tell you not only how to design them quickly and easily to save you time, but also um, what the optimal number to use is and how many items to have on each slide, everything you need to know. Uh, so you're not fumbling and wasting time. The, the slides are a point of, they're, they're a pet peeve of mine because so many people think a presentation is a slide deck and that they can swap any presenter in and it's plug and play. But in fact, it, it's so like the slides are the biggest waste of time because they're meant to supplement and complement your presentation. They're not meant to replace you. So a lot of people spend time just you know, kind of tweaking and, and tinkering with their slides and you've reached a point of diminishing returns. Your, your time is better spent rehearsing or choosing better words or preparing in another way than just click changing the color or the font five times, right? Is it okay if I say hallelujah? <laughs> it's okay. 
Because it frustrates the hell out of me. And I used to work at a big organization in Australia called Telstra. And you may have you may have dealt with them when you were in Australia. But every single meeting, every single presentation had to have a PowerPoint deck or a PDF deck as thick as your arm. And it was thought that if you didn't have one of those, then, Ryan, you haven't done your preparation. You can't come into a meeting and just have a conversation, God's sake. So the key message there is the visual aids are there to support you. They're not there to replace you. 100%. Get it it right. Awesome. Love it. What's the third layer? Third layer is presentation delivery. So that is separated into two blocks. It's uh, So one is vocal projection and vocal techniques. And the second is body language, nonverbal communication. And then the, the fourth and final layer is we call that presentation polishing and that's anxiety reduction keeping your nerves at bay so you can deliver effectively and there's a number of techniques in there there's a number of micro strategies as well as macro strategies so the difference micro strategy of something like breathing or drinking a large glass of water beforehand to calm your nerves okay there's also macro strategies to reframe the situation not that your audience is skeptical of you you're there to give them something. They need to know what you have to say mm. and focus on that, right? So yeah. reframing that. So that, that's the macro strategy there. And then the second point, the second in presentation polishing is uh, responding to questions. Okay. And that what's, is it, there's ten, there's 10 steps altogether. Cool. And what's the, um, from your perspective, because I know a lot of, lot of executives like to keep questions to the end. How do mm-hmm. you, what do you what's your take on that because i'm i'm a i'm a little bit of it depends because sometimes if a question throughout the presentation is relevant to the topic i'd like to actually take it because sometimes the person asking that if i say hold it to the end might actually start diverting their attention to the point where they might not listen until i get to the question what's your mm. what's your take on on questioning uh there's three ways to do it and it de- it does depend on the circumstances and and how you want to go forward what what will best help you but the first way is yeah the default please hold your questions till the end uh i might answer something along the way if you're very if you're a naturally very nervous speaker until you get your nerves under control that might be the way to go if you're more calm and you're more relaxed and you like you said you want the questions to be open you can do that as well you can say please feel free to ask questions as they come up i'm happy to address them Uh, the happy medium in between there is to build in breaks for questions yeah. So you tell them, but just forecast that at the beginning in your sure. introduction, say there's going to be two or three spots here where I'll check in with you if, any, if you have any questions. Yeah. Okay. So we'll just uh, jot them down and, and I'll check in. And if you have anything, I'll be happy to address it at those times. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Great advice. So my, my next question out of that is in all the teams you work with, all the leaders and executives you work with, and you're taken through this formula, which, which step or which level presents the most challenge? for based on your experience for most most execs hmm definitely trying to think it's there's a couple Uh, content selection is big yeah because people want to include everything yeah that's the number one in all the research the number one cause of presentation failure is information overload too much information so uh content selection becomes a challenge Because in the content selection step, I teach you or I I show you what you should be focused on to make the most impact and deliver the most value. And then everything else you need to be comfortable with pulling it to the side and keeping it in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. It may come useful if the question and answer, if someone's asking to go deeper on a point, you're going to need it. But to so that that's number one, because people are once they go through the process and a lot of people, they start opening up the PowerPoint, start making slides and then they don't want to get rid of them. Oh, but it looks so good though. I embedded this video. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, but they, they're not going to care about that. Like, you know, that's not exactly. They're not going to care about that. They're going to care about how you can save them time, how you can save them money, how you can make their life easier. Right. Like, so that's, that's one of the, that's one of the big ones for sure. And the, the other, the other one that I, I is, is the rehearsals people yeah. for some reason, when they're running out of time, they cut out the re- rehearsals are like the leg day of of uh, presentation skills i i don't know why they're so beneficial they help you improve your word choice they yeah. help you 
develop that, that the muscle memory, the reflex you need so that if you get nervous, you're still going to deliver effectively and no one's going to know. Like there's so many benefits, but people just say, yeah, I know I, I thought about it before this morning in the shower. I think I'm going to be fine. Like, I'll okay. be fine. So what they do, Ryan, is they actually rehearse in the live performance. <laughs> yeah, that's their, and they're like, oh no, what's another word for this? And it's like, and they're thinking out loud. It's like, oh no, this should have been done three days ago. Like, what are you doing? You know? So I get the key message there is um, in terms of content, less is more. And my my own, I said, benchmark is when I'm working with with teams and, and leaders when it comes to presenting, when they show me the content, I say, right, halve it. Halve that and halve it again, right? And the other key thing is rehearse. And I often ask people the question around, can you rehearse too much? And I love your take on this in terms of rehearsal. Can you rehearse too much? Because a lot, as you say, a lot of people don't even rehearse. They're like, ah, I know my content. She'll be right, mate. She'll be right. <laughs> oh man, that yeah, that drives me nuts when they say, "Oh, when I see my slides, I'll talk through it." It's like, okay, so you're going to read your slides to the audience, captivating. Like, oh, they'll be, they'll, they're going to be on the edge of their seat. You know, like, uh, um, what's my take on? <laughs> sorry, what's my take on over rehearsing? I, uh, it's rare. Like I, I can see sometimes we, we say, you know, it can sound canned. Like there are demo days, for example, I work with some incubators of startup companies and they're pitching the same thing to like, you know, 15 different investors in the same day. So by the end of it, it does sound a little monotonous. It sounds a little automated, um, but the, there's nothing wrong with, you know, saying it over to yourself two, three, four, five times, because you're going to be able to tweak your delivery, your intonation. You're going to be able to plan your pauses. Mm. You're going to, you know, you're not going to speed through. You're going to pause here and give the audience a second to think and catch up. And then you're going to continue, right? Like, so, so those little nuances, those all move the needle a little bit in your favor um, and add up, uh, maximize your probability of success. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that's, yeah, that's what I, what I say to that. Oh, and one more quick thing on, on sure. rehearsals. Now that we're, we're on this note, a piece of advice that's it's been invaluable to me. And I'd love to share it with your audience. When you're rehearsing, if you screw up, fight the temptation to restart and keep going. Yeah. Okay. Fight through it and go through it to the end. Yeah. They've done a lot of research with, um, they did crazy research with Olympic athletes, Olympic skiers. And, you know, I'm Canadian, so we do a lot of winter sports. So the, the Olympic, down, the downhill skiers, what they had them do was they had everyone envision the perfect run. So envision in your mind, what's the perfect run going to be like? Where are you going to twist? Where are you going to turn? How are you going to get down? And what they found was when they did that and they kept envisioning the perfect run, when they hit a bump or they made a mistake, they struggled to recover wow. because in their mind, they're just, yeah. that doesn't happen, yeah. right? They're going down the, per- so then they hit, then they start to panic and then they make it worse, right? So what they started to te- to kind of train them to do is think about if I hit a bump here, how would I recover? If mm. what if this happens, what would I do? Not the whole time, but three or four so yeah. that your brain goes on autopilot and you know how to recover, right? So if you're stumbling, you know, you take a breath, look up, say, let me restart that and then <laughs> go again, right? Or a number of different ways. But that's how you recover, not just like, oh, sh- oh no. Uh, you know, like when you're in front of people and they're like, what's happening? Right? And then there's that awkward silence and people looking at each other and saying, is that part of the presentation? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is he done or what's happening? Mate, it's great. It's great advice because we're not, we're not perfect, right? So if anybody's sitting out there thinking, I'm going to have the perfect presentation, I'm going to deliver the perfect pitch, it does not exist. What are people going to resonate with? They're going to resonate with you. So they're going to buy you. And if you're authentic, and by the way, if you make a mistake and own it and say, sorry, guys, I can't believe I just said that. Or have you ever felt or experienced a situation where you had something extraordinary to say, absolutely extraordinary, and you're about to say it, and then you forgot what the hell it was? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) now some people might feel really embarrassed but it comes back to what you said before if you're really comfortable being able to do that and you're okay with not having to get it perfect then that can be more human for the audience and it can actually make it more uh more easier for it to resonate the the message to resonate with the audience because you're not robotic absolutely and that's what they want like the audience 
they want someone who they can connect, they can relate to and they can trust and they can believe. And they don't want someone who's going to be automatic and just go up there and tell you exactly what you need to know. Like, that's not what they're looking for. (laughs) That's not, no. And it's not about the content. So, and, and it comes back to the point around your design and doing all your content. It's not about the content. It is about how you deliver it. And is the audience ready for that message? And what is the key outcome you're looking for? So, so, mate, as we, um, I love this conversation. We could probably go another two hours on this. Um, for those listening who might be thinking, okay, we've got two two guys that are talking about present, presenting, coaching, mentoring, all that sort of stuff. If there was one, and this might be a hard question because there might be heaps of things you can think about, but anyway. if there if, if there was one piece of advice that you'd give somebody around increasing their gravitas, if you like, or increasing their ability to get their message through to people or to a person, what would you leave them with in terms of one thing to focus on? Hmm, only one thing that is difficult. It is. I would say, so I'm going to go deep here, not surface stuff. If you want surface stuff, that's only in one chapter of my book. Um, the deeper, the deeper meaning here, uh, make sure your message is valuable. Yeah. Love it. If your message is valuable, if whatever you're presenting is valuable, if you're not doing it because you were, you were told to do this. Okay. Then your job is to make it meaningful for people because if it's meaningful for people, and you believe it's meaningful for people that will come through the delivery will kind of take care it's like running what do you do with your arms when you're running they'll take care of themselves yeah right like that will the delivery will take care of it you have to believe in your message so make sure it's important and it's valuable love it great great way to finish the podcast my friend and i totally and utterly concur with that because it means that it's not the content it's it's the it's the i guess the meaning behind the content that will uh, that will shine through which is they're buying you they're buying you as the individual so as we uh, as we finish i know you've also got a podcast known as the professional speaking podcast so uh, i'm going to encourage people to plug into that as well and i'll put some uh, put some notes in the show notes as to where to get that um, is it on most uh, podcasting platforms it is on spotify apple uh soundcloud and uh there's one more i think amazon i don't know i have a i have a team that does that for me i just interview cool people on there and that's why i was going to ask you darren if you'd be willing to join me on my podcast where we talk about communication strategies especially in leadership and sales love to my friend love to if it means we have another conversation like this then absolutely sign me up (laughs) (laughs) all right it's in done deal Awesome, mate. Thanks again for. I know it's pretty late in the uh, in the evening for you in Canada. It's probably well. I'm thinking it's about eight p.m. now, so um, must be beer time, must be dinner time. So uh, thank you, thank you once again for jumping on. It's great to be connected with you on LinkedIn, and uh, look forward to another conversation with you. Absolutely, Darren. Thanks for having me, and pleasure to chat. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. See you soon, mate. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.